It seems like creatives always get a bad rap. From childlike tantrums and ridiculous green room requests, strange superstitions, and even self-mutilation, it's clear that artists have plenty of strange habits. But they've also made a pretty big impact on the world. Hi, I'm Kate Rooney. And I'm Jess Scuffy. And you're listening to Creatives Are the Worst, presented by Design Pickle, the leading flat rate graphic design and creative services platform. In this podcast, we'll be uncovering the fascinating myths and shocking stories behind the artists we love, or in some cases, love to hate, as we try to determine, are creatives the worst? Welcome to Creatives Are the Worst, presented by Design Pickle. This is a podcast that explores the stories behind famous and sometimes not-so-famous creatives that have somehow changed the course of history. I'm Jess Guffey, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, the fabulous, the wonderful, the mythical Kate Rooney. Hi, Kate. Wow. Hi. That was the best introduction I have ever had in my life. (laughs) Thank you very much. You're so welcome. (laughs) Sounds appropriate. (laughs) What's going on in your world, Jess? You know, um, it's Friday, and we love Friday. So really nothing too crazy to report. This week has been a whirlwind for us, as I know we all feel in the design pickle sphere right now. Um, Yeah. You know, we realize it's so hard to have a natural chat with you right now because we not only work together at Design Pickle, we're we're just talking constantly on Slack. So I feel like I know everything that's going on. So yeah. So uh, I can't really give you updates because you know everything. Um, how boring. This is that. the worst <laughs> podcast I've ever listened to in my life. Huh. It's really dumb. It's really dumb. Uh, so Kate, I believe you have a story for me to spice it up a little bit today. I do, I do. Before I launch into the story, I just want to reiterate that although we did as much research as we could or as I could and, you know, poured through a lot of articles, watched a whole movie about this person, everything in this podcast, of course, is still just our opinions based off our research. But if you ever disagree or you think you missed something, please reach out to us at podcastdesignpickle.com. Uh, Just, would you say that you're pretty good when it comes to constructive criticism? From our listeners, I would say, bring it on. If you don't like us, tell us. <laughs> but be nice. Saucy actually. words be from nice. Jess Guffey. Don't be too spicy. Only a little spice. <laughs> <laughs> Moderate spice on the scoba. <laughs> we only want... Uh, 500,000 Scoville units, yeah. please. Maybe like some Carolina Reaper. I'm good with that. That's fine. You are. All right, Spice Queen. <laughs> Kate, I'm excited for the story. I'm on the edge of my seat here. Let's go. Okay, so before I launch into my story, I'd like to set the stage for you. On a brisk October evening of 1980 in New York City, John Lennon and Yoko Ono pull up to their home in the Dakota apartment building after a recording session. As they walk towards the archway entrance of the building courtyard, a man named Dave Mark Chapman turns and fires five hollow point bullets from a .38 revolver. I don't know guns, so is it just a .38 revolver? Probably. Hitting Lennon's back and shoulder. Chapman remained at the scene, taking out his copy of The Catcher of the Rye to ready until the police arrived. In his statement to the police three hours later, Chapman stated, 
I'm sure the large part of me is Holden Caulfield, who is the main person in the book. The small part of me must be the devil. Um, So, mm -hmm. okay. I have lots of questions, but continue. Because that's just part one, and I'm already... This is part one. So today, Jess, I am going to tell you about the author behind that book. (gasps) The world's most famous anti-celebrity hermit. Jerome David Salinger, a.k.a. J.D. Salinger, one of the most influential American writers of the 20th century. No freaking way. I thought you were going John Lennon, and I'm stoked about this twist. This is exciting. I pulled a little a little switcheroo on you. A little bait there. and switch there. Uh, fun fact: yeah. had to read Catcher in the Rye in ninth grade. <laughs> Don't really remember. Hi Huckleberry. Don't really remember lots of the story, but remember being like, "What did I just read?" So I am stoked for this. Well, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because when I was researching this episode and thinking about a a real good cat uh, like a hook. To, to draw you in, I was going to ask, what are the main books that you read in high school that you remember? Mm. But I know that you can barely read, so I wasn't <laughs> sure if that would be the right hook, you know? <laughs> roast me, okay? Uh, Please no, don't. I know. To our listeners, no, if you write us, don't be as mean as Kate just was. <laughs> bring down the Scoville a couple no- notches. Uh, but yeah, I'm here to tell you about J.D. Salinger. I did not know everything about his life. And Jess, I, I love to talk about myself, and I love to brag about how <laughs> yeah, okay. I was, yeah, I love to brag about how I was an English major in college. Mm, yes. Literature is a huge part of my life. I've read a lot of these famous novels, but I feel like... I missed a big chunk of this author's backstory, and I was bewildered when I heard a lot about it. I'm so let, let's dive in, shall we? Yeah. I'm ready. So Jerome David Salinger was born in New York City, just on the heels of the Roaring Twenties. Yeah. He was a, a little uh, New Year's baby, January 1st, 1919. I wonder if he knew the Charleston. I'm sure he just came out of the womb doing the Charleston. <laughs> I, I mean, if you're born on New Year's Eve, like, you're there to party, right? I feel like that's a no-brainer. Came out, just, the doctors <laughs> threw out some glitter, and there it was. Yeah, champagne. We just had a roaring 20s, out. baby. Congrats, JD. <laughs> it's the roaring 20s. It's not even the 20s yet. It's 1919. <laughs> So he was born to a Scotch-Irish mother named Miriam Salinger and his Jewish father, whose name was Saul Salinger. He did have a sister named Doris, his older sister. But a couple things I want to point out about his childhood. Uh, It was very, very secretive that his mother was not Jewish because at the time, mixed marriages were a big no-no. So he didn't know. Yeah, he didn't know that his mom wasn't Jewish until his bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah. What? Uh, wait, wait. So how did they tell, like, I'm imagining the conversation between JD and his parents where they just one day like, <laughs> hey, for your 13th birthday, we're having a party. And he was like, well, why are we having a party? Other than the fact that it's going to be my birthday. And they were like, surprise, you're Jewish. Like, <laughs> Well, his his dad was Jewish. His dad was Jewish, so okay. it was like... Okay, got it, got it. So he knew he was Jewish, but 
he didn't he assumed that his mom was too and said she was Interesting. just she was a scotch irish and we know we don't talk about them so <laughs> so his dad saul he ran a ham and cheese import business yum <laughs> i actually wrote that in my notes because i love cheese mm. cheese sounds delicious right now yeah doesn't it so at the, so they're living in new york Living on, he went to school off Park Avenue at a school called uh, McBurney. Very fancy, very exclusive, very ritzy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. However, uh, at the time, JD, who went by Sunny as a, a nickname, which is very antithetical to, I, I'm not sure how he got that name, but it's it's very antithetical to how he actually is as a human being. It turns yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. But he was, he was super smart, like a very intelligent kid, but just hated school. And I can relate. I don't know. Like, I hated high school, crushed in my English classes, because, again, if you missed that previous part where I was uh, an oh, English God. major in college. Here we go. Don't get her mm. started, everyone. Don't encourage this yeah. behavior. <laughs> <laughs> but at least I never flunked out, in which True. he did. True. So he he actually was he did really well in his writing courses, but the rest of school he was just like meh. So he flunked out, and because of that, his parents sent him off to the Valley Forge Military Academy. <gasps> Another military academy, okay. Hmm. Yeah, he actually used his experience there as some inspiration for uh, our previously mentioned character Holden Caulfield's alma mater in The Catcher of the Rye. In the Can I just say something real quick about creatives in general? I feel like it's so common. Like, I wasn't surprised when you said that he flunked out of school, basically, except for writing. Like, I feel like it's so common for creatives, no matter what their discipline is, to just be bad at school. And then they're just prodigies in some other aspect. Oh, man. We, we will definitely dive into that a bit. But I felt hashtag triggered reading some of this because (laughs) no joke though i was like man he seems like the worst but i can relate to him in so many ways and i went to school with so many people like this that and i don't think it matters like i mean it could people could say that about sports too but i think that's a little more like multi-dimensional but i feel like with creatives they they're so good at one area and then they focus on that and they just don't give a shit about anything else. And for good reason. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if you're so good at one area, why would you care about something else? Why would you care about math if you're a good writer? That's definitely a common theme in, in J.D. Salinger's life is just he's a prodigy in this particular area and he knows it. Oh, and boy. therefore, everyone else can just, you know, F off. So Pound some sand. Uh, Got it. But he starts to really develop his, his creative spirit at the Valley Forge Military Academy. He starts doing some writing classes, some acting classes. Uh, and then, yeah, a year later, he announces that he officially wants to be a writer. Like, that's, he knows that this is what he wants to do at a very young a- age. Did, so he announces this, like, they didn't have Twitter back then. So <laughs> did, he just, did he just go around and say, hello, everyone, I am a writer now. <laughs> Uh, hold on, let me check my notes. It looks like he sent it out with a, a pigeon carrier. So Perfect. that's how. Perfect. 
<laughs> that's not true. Uh, no, I don't know. I'm sure he wrote it down as a writer. That's what he did. However, his dad... Mm, I could just say that maybe Salinger had some daddy issues because mm, his dad wasn't so. supportive. His, I know. His dad was like, just... Dude, meat and cheese. People love meat and cheese. You can't go <laughs> wrong with this. What are you fine. doing? Like, I have this great business that you can just take over, and you want to be a writer? Are you kidding me? Yeah. You idiot. Well, yeah. His, his his mom Miriam though was like super supportive, all behind him. So the next year, he decides to go to NYU. Now, Jess, I'm sure as you know, NYU is a very prestigious school for a lot of writers, authors who go that way. Wow, I know you (laughs) came from a better school for writers. Uh, No, that's not true. (laughs) No, NYU is one of the best. Yeah. Well, you'll be pleased to find out that he actually ends up dropping out in the spring of his (laughs) freshman year. Great. <laughs> so, yeah, so in 1937, he actually moves to Vienna, Austria for a, f- uh, a few months. It was actually his dad who wanted him to go to learn the meatpacking <laughs> cheese industry. No way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they gave him some cash and some encouragement and said, go learn the the import business. And he's like, cool, but I'm actually going to learn more about language and study that. Which he did. That's actually so he, pretty he cool, a, though. Like, yeah. I'd love Vienna. to do that. Are you kidding it's me? Fine. Yeah. Give me, give, give me a pocket of cash, eat some cheese, uh, yeah, learn happy. some languages. <laughs> so he, he obviously had dropped out of NYU. He comes back to New York and eventually enrolls in Columbia, another fantastic school for writing and yep. literary arts. Yep. Yep, yep. Uh, but this, this is a very critical moment in Salinger's life because this is where he meets Wit Burnett. And just really quickly, did you ever have a professor in college who just like rocked your world and encouraged you and changed your life? I would say I was very lucky because we had many professors that were very invested in our success because our class sizes were like usually 10 people, maybe 20. So I was very fortunate to have many professors that I enjoyed. Do I still keep in contact with any of them? No. But, like, at the time, they were amazing. So, yes, I can relate. So this particular professor, uh, Whit Burnett, he was the editor of a, a publication called uh, Story. And they had a lot of well-known authors published in that magazine. Uh, but Burnett really took an interest in, in Salinger. Okay, let me kind of backtrack a little bit. Salinger, it was definitely that type of person that you're thinking of who's kind of like that (laughs) cocky just i know i'm really smart f you i'm an english major (laughs) oh so many parallels (laughs) just kidding no he just was like very just i I don't want to say full of himself because he clearly also wasn't uh i don't know but he he definitely was like You'll see some parallels when we talk about his character, Holden Caulfield. I'm already seeing that. them. It's definitely, definitely oh, yeah. apparent. I just want to add that. So I, I had read Catcher in the Rye years ago, uh, but I did not know how connected that character was to the author. That I was very surprising either. to me. 
I'm feeling like oh, yeah. the more you tell me, the more I'm like, so he wrote an autobiography. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But Whit Burnett, he, he really encourages uh, Salinger to keep writing, and they become really, really close. He's his mentor. He keeps telling him, you have to write. You have to write a novel. Some tough love, but some really good stuff in there. So eventually he publishes a, a piece of fiction. At, at the time, he'd just been writing short stories, no long novels or anything like that. But he wrote a, a piece of fiction called The Young Folks, and it was published in Burnett's magazine, Story. Uh, and it was it was pretty popular at the time. And so Burnett kept encouraging him to, to write more. And then finally, after many, many rejections, The New Yorker <gasps> accepts to publish one of his stories. And this has been a battle. Whoa. like. Oh, yeah. Uh, and in fact, so this story was called Slight Rebellion Off Madison. And this is the first story to feature Holden Caulfield. Oh, I didn't know our boy Holden had a backstory in any well, way. Well, there's a reason There's a reason why he, he has been featured in a lot of uh, Salinger's short stories. And it was Whit Bur- Burnett who kept telling him, you, this, guy, this character belongs in a novel. You should write a whole novel about this oh, character. Oh, cool. Okay. I did not know that. So the New Yorker kept rejecting it. They finally accepted it. However, this was early December 1941. Do you know what happened in December 1941, Jess? I would say Pearl Harbor happened. Yes, ma'am. That's right. So that is correct. Pearl Harbor happened on December 7th, 1941. And again, turning it back to myself. <laughs> so my, this Naturally. is a true story. I don't, even, <laughs> I don't even have this in my notes, but I thought it would be fun to include. As a very frivolous writer myself in my college years, I wrote a poem and Not about my mother, <laughs> because my Not mother is also born on December 7th. But in the poem, I reference how uh, it was a day that went down in infamy and how <gasps> that connection is not lost in me. I love my mom. Don't get me wrong. Oh. I was very... Oh, that's so oh, angsty. What an, what oh, an angsty college so student I was. angsty. I am here for get it. Get out of here. You were probably I, like yeah. listening to My Chemical Romance and Green Day. <laughs> no, I was listening to, from, to some like deep ish right there i can't uh yeah so due (laughs) to the circumstances uh the the bombing of pearl harbor happens and because of that the new yorker unfortunately says we can't publish your story right now it's it's too frivolous not gonna like that oh yeah but also this this kind of catapults the next period of JD's life where he is drafted into the army after the Pearl Harbor attacks. And uh, so his time in the in the military is pretty dang intense. I imagine. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did not know that. He was in the throes of World War II. Uh, he was actually in the first wave at Normandy Beach or at Utah oh, Beach God. during Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but that actually turned out in his favor because his group went out at like six thirty in the morning and stormed the beach, and just a couple hours later, that's like when the other side came in and attacked. So he like narrowly escaped it, but he saw Whoa. just really, really bad stuff while he was there. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Oh, yeah. It was rough. He saw a lot of bad stuff, and we will definitely get into how how much that affected him. But uh, he definitely he participated in the invasion of Normandy. Now, while he was overseas, he ended up, well, he was in France. And at the time, he ends up forging a strong friendship with none other than Ernest Hemingway. Oh, I, gosh. Yeah. How did I not see this coming? Oh, my goodness. I know. They had been exchanging letters for a while, and then they finally <laughs> met in, in Paris. And uh, Salinger was just just kind of, like, enamored by him and noted that he was surprised. Yeah, he was surprised by how nice Hemingway was. I thought I meant to include that. I'm like, oh, I like that. that's cool. Can we just mm-hmm. talk for one second about how funny it is nowadays with technology so accessible that people sent letters to each other and that's how they got to know each other back in the day? Dear it's like Ernest. <laughs> Ernest. By the time oh, he yeah. gets there, it's 10 days old. So what are you talking about in your letters? <laughs> you know? Everything moves so quickly now that if I sent you a letter today and arrive tomorrow everything would be wrong (laughs) i'm gonna send you a letter dear cart (laughs) today (laughs) i don't even know how to talk like they did i would (laughs) this is where you insert the the jack handy quotes um no i i actually wrote down quotations he was a really good guy (laughs) hemingway (laughs) that guy and apparently, I, I can't, I need to find like an actual source that states this, but uh, apparently he called him Papa. <laughs> what? Oh my God, daddy issues galore. Wow. Right? We're bringing Whoa. back the daddy issues. Whoa. And I don't know, so I, I mentioned at the top that I, I didn't actually say which movie, but I watched a movie called Rebel in the Rye, which was released in 2017. You may not have heard of it because the character, uh, Whit Burnett, is played by Kevin Spacey. So, <gasps> Oh, boy. Who, yeah. Okay. Who we'll eventually have to cover someday. Uh, it, it definitely kind of yeah. took me out of the story because he is maybe the worst. Um, Probs. Yep. I don't know. Like, we talk a lot about separating the the art from the artist, and I feel like I'm able to do that in a lot of cases, but I really struggle with Kevin Spacey because... I do too. I feel like, yeah, so often he's kind of playing a character that's borderline creepy, so you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, you're like this in real life. I feel like that one just hit differently when all that stuff came out. And it it was right after House of Cards, and he was the creepiest mofo in House of Cards that you could ever imagine. And then to, like, have all those stories come out and people to just be so brutally honest, it was like, nope, I'm good. Thank you. Bye. And his response to it. I mean, let's not do that. Yep. But anywho... His experience in the war leave a deep impression on him and proved to be transformative trauma in his life and his career. It, it, it definitely changes writing. So he had been writing uh, kind of like anthologies about Holden Caulfield while yeah. he was at war. Like even while he was in the trenches, he was writing. Speci- it, was, it was basically what would become Catcher in the Rye. Uh, but he had no intentions of making it a, a book at that time. He was just kept writing. It was like the one thing keeping him through the war. But also, he, a lot of the criticism that he received about his writing prior to the war was just how immature and 
infantile his, his work was. Oh. And people, yeah, people still argue that today, but it, it's very clear that uh, after his experience in World War II, uh, his writing matured a lot. He became a lot more serious, and it, it brought out just more real, raw emotions in his writing. It, like, hardened him a little bit. Gave him a little bit it, of knowledge. It hardened him. And while we kind of talk about how that's a great thing for his writing, it was not a good thing for his brain because he saw some shit while he uh, was in war. Yeah. Yeah. As you do. And because of that, he had major PTSD. Oh, major. Boy. At the time, they didn't call it that. They called it uh, combat fatigue, which is a very <laughs> lovely euphemism for PTSD. That's like the most vanilla way to describe it. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, he, he was fatigue, pretty messed really? up. Like, so, I'm on. tired. Mm. I saw, I saw the my worst friends things. die. Yeah. I'm tired. So the worst things in my life, but I'm just—I just need a nap, and I'll feel better. Mm. Come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he ends up checking himself into a mental hospital in Nuremberg while he's overseas to get help because he yeah. recognized he's just like, what's the point? <laughs> Everything you know, is awful. It's kind of interesting to me though, because back in those days, like as we were just referring to with combat fatigue and everything so vanilla and mental health was obviously very different back then. But for him to have the introspection to look at himself and be like, no, I actually need, I, I need some help. I need some professional help. Oh, yeah. now. Like that's a big deal. Especially for oh, a male yeah. back then. Like, that's a big deal. Go JD. Yeah. Uh, but he, he eventually came home. But before coming home, he did meet a woman there. Her <gasps> name, yeah. Something. Sylvia Welter. She was a German woman. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she came back to the States with him. And they met, or she met his family. And they were not, they were like, Really? Uh, she was super smart, like very intelligent woman, but they, I think just the tensions with the war, she was German, it was like, you okay. gonna do this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a little more sense. Yeah, they, they weren't together for very long. They eventually filed for annulment. However, I thought this was very interesting. Uh, it stated that Jaden Salinger thought that, felt like they had a psychic connection, and even after <laughs> they divorced... They could still communicate with each other through their dreams. Oh, stop it right now. <laughs> yeah. That is like some ESP shit right there. Just... <laughs> A psychic connection. Or just, actually, like, really the, the proper... <laughs> the proper term that they use was uh, telepathic communications. I mean, we have that, so that's not that's that true. weird. <laughs> yep, same brain. Uh, so he's back in New York at this time, and he gets back into his writing routine. He's still trying to get published in The New Yorker after his first rejection because of Pearl, the Pearl Harbor bombing. was rejected a few times, and then eventually The New Yorker publishes a short story, A Perfect Day for Banana Fish. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> what is that name? banana fish did he just pick like the most random words that you could ever pick and put them together so kind of so kind of because the publisher was asking doesn't it make sense to banana is one word and fish is another word salinger's response to that was like that would make too much sense so he just made it one word 
a perfect day for a banana <laughs> fish. Oh my god. Okay. But this story, okay. the, so this this story uh, features a character from the fictional Glass family, which would reappear in later stories. So there, he does that a lot. Like he, he has characters that reoccur in a lot of his stories and novels. I kind of like that because it kind of, to me, it ties everything together in a nice, pretty bow as far as their work goes. Like when musical artists reference things and songs that then carry into other songs, I just think that that takes some sort of brilliance to be able to do that and like have intention oh, yeah. and meaning behind it. So I dig it. Good job, JG. You can really flesh out a, a character that way. I think it's it's really fascinating. Yeah. If you thought that Banana Fish was funny, though, get ready for this. <laughs> Not ready. <laughs> so Salinger actually had a story called, I can't even say it, <laughs> Uncle Wiggly in Connecticut. Uh, but this wiggly. wiggly yeah yeah um now a okay. i'm sorry i gotta get it together what get it together woman just think about banana fish and wigglies let it out but like i'm sorry not to create another tangent but the word wiggly and like have you ever been to connecticut kate we went to Connecticut Connecticut together, didn't we? Oh, no. Yeah. yeah, we did. Did we? God. We did. Yeah, it didn't feel like Connecticut, but obviously, like, Connecticut is an East Coast state, like, Northeast, very, it's known to be very prim and proper, and whether that's true or not, I don't know, that's the stereotype, and we don't know if they're true, but the word wiggly <laughs> with Connecticut in that context, like. But it's Uncle Wiggly. <laughs> Uncle Wiggly. That's different. Just going off Uncle in Wiggly. Anyways, I'm sorry. Now, I haven't read that story. I don't know what Uncle Wiggly is about. I would love to, to read it now after researching all of this. Same. But <laughs> so a movie producer named Samuel Goldwyn decides to purchase the rights to that story to turn it into a film adaptation. Mm-hmm. The movie was just utterly ripped apart by critics. It was yep. so bad. Yep. So bad. Could have guessed that. Yeah. And Salinger just thought the experience was so miserable, he decided to never, ever authorize another film version of his work again. So oh. that's why there's no movie about Catcher in the Rye. That's actually a really good point. I never thought about that. But every other major American work of literature has a film behind it. Yeah, so we'll... we'll Get into this a little bit later, but uh, Salinger was very adamant that he would never, ever have any more of his work created into a film, especially Catcher in the Rye, uh, because he felt like he was the only one who could play Holden Caulfield, <laughs> and he was already too old to play him at that point. So I'm just going to let that sit with you for a second. Great. I have no words for that. So, Kate. Yes, Jess? We talk a lot on the podcast about how people, creative specifically, may or may not be the worst. Yeah, right? we, we've heard a lot who actually are the worst. But you know who isn't the worst? Who's that? Design Pickles Friendly and Reliable Designers. Oh, wait, do they make pickles or... Yes. What's going on here? It's actually pickle manufacturing. No. Kate, it's flat rate, unlimited graphic design, and custom 
custom illustration services. Ooh, I love custom. Uh, yeah, Design Fickle is actually one of the Inc. 5000 fastest growing companies in America. We've won a ton of awards for our unlimited creative services and, and design. It's so awesome. It's so helpful if you are a podcaster or a content creator in general, because you sign up, we match you with one of our professional designers, and you work with them. And not being passed around to different freelancers, which is really, really cool for brand consistency. Yeah, it is. And if you're a listener of this podcast, you get a special discount. If you use the code WORST at checkout, you get $100 off your first month for any plan. Woo! Any plan. $100 off any plan. That's We have our essentials plan for just your basic design needs. There's pro if you need more advanced work with same-day delivery or custom illustrations too, where you can submit unlimited requests for 100% original artwork. $100 off. That is a sweet, sweet dill, if I would say myself. Now, speaking of Catcher in the Rye, now we're in 1951, and this is when Catcher in the Rye finally gets published. So it's happening. And, and things definitely change. This, this turns Salinger's life upside down, as if the war didn't before that. But Yeah, we're turning it like back the other direction. Yeah. And just because I know you can't read, I'm going to just tell you a little uh. bit about this book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I approve of this running joke that we have in this podcast. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about this. <laughs> so mean. It's Friday. We're going to let it roll. Mean cart. I don't like it. <laughs> Anyways, so, read it to me because I can't read it myself, apparently. <laughs> Let me let me indulge you. The Catcher in the Rye is set around the 1950s and is narrated by a young man named Holden Caulfield. Holden is not specific about his location while he's telling the story, but he makes it clear that he is undergoing treatment in a mental hospital or sanatorium. Ooh, that's a great mm, word. I love such that. Such a great word. Don't love what happened in sanatoriums, but nope. man, what a great word. There's a drunk yeah. history episode about it with Laura Dern. Ooh, <laughs> I mean, first off, Laura Dern is a saint. She can do no wrong. Not the worst at all. Yeah. No, no, far from it. Uh, but the events in the book he narrates takes place in a few days between the end of the fall school term and Christmas when Holden is 16 years old. And I saw it mentioned somewhere that uh, Salinger basically called it, it's just the story of a kid uh, during Christmas break. So he's kind of like putting it lightly, but there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there because, okay, well, before I get into this, do you recall anything from that book? I feel like there's a catchphrase that he said a lot that I can't think of. Gosh, this is a long time ago. I remember like how I felt when I was reading it and I, I constantly felt like, what the hell is going on here? Like, what is this? This is so... What is he mm-hmm. going to do next? This is weird. Why am I reading this? Like, just a lot of emotions around the actual act of reading the book. Well, you're not too far off because it's a lot of emotions of a young teenager who, you know, as we mentioned before, uh, Salinger felt very connected to this character. 
uh, someone who's just very disillusioned by life, very confused, just chaos, trying to really bitter, understand, very bitter, trying to yep. understand what it means to be an adult. The phrase you might be thinking of is phony, because he says that yes, a lot in the book. That's exactly mm-hmm. what I was thinking of. Thank you. And in the midst of his own difficulties and transitioning into young adulthood, Holden imagines himself as a kind of savior who can protect kids from the pains of growing up. That's actually what the title comes from. The line about a catcher in the rye is taken from a Robert Burns poem called Come and Throw the Rye. And so Holden, the character, definitely uh, takes that whole poem out of context, which I think is really interesting. Uh, The poem is actually about sex. So... I mean, okay. uh, yeah, however, the character Holden takes is totally misguided about what, what it's about and thinks that it's about protecting all... He imagines children playing in a field and they're about to, like, fall off a, the edge of a cliff. And Holden feels like he needs to protect everyone, all the children, from falling off a cliff. So he feels like he has to protect the youth, the, the innocence of youth from something. My Which is very head ironic. is yeah. cocked so far to the side right now. I know, to, you are. <laughs> trying to understand. <laughs> you look like a, a dog, yeah. So, okay, let me kind of backtrack a little bit more. Uh, the Holden is very disillusioned about becoming an adult and how fake adults are and just how phony everything is, and he wants to protect the innocence of youth from that. So he takes a phrase from the poem but just totally misinterprets it to think that he's protecting kids from this. Really, the poem's about screwing. So, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I had I have to imagine that was hard to write because that's kind of meta to name the book after something that was then misconstrued by your main character and represented something else in the book, but actually exists in it. Like, a lot of stuff going yeah. on. That's some inception. It's part of the part right of there. the brilliance of him because yeah. you could you could read that book and think like, well, this is this is terrible because it's just this guy's thoughts. There was actually a, a scene in the movie that I watched, uh, and I don't know if this conversation actually happened. A lot of it was fictionalized, obviously, but where uh, Burnett is telling Salinger that he needs to write like a writer, so instead of like telling everyone his story through his his voice he needs to tell the story of something else through his voice and stop like yeah so that's kind of what he it seems like going through war and having him see the world helps him achieve that in a way interesting um now another thing to note is i'm sure as you've heard this this book was actually uh banned in a lot of schools and Mm-hmm. And I feel it, like it wasn't I've heard that, but I don't really remember what the reasoning was behind it. It's it seems like the reasoning is mostly because there's so many curse words in it. Uh, okay. It's aggressive in that sense because it is just sort of that stream of consciousness, and it's like a I mean a, a teenager who's gonna go off the rails, but. Right. Despite the the censorship, this novel just blows up like instant fame for Salinger. He he had been struggling to get published. He thought getting published was going to be like the ultimate thing that was going to just like be his career. 
Uh, he just had instant fame, and he kind of realized, oh, this sucks. <laughs> Being <laughs> famous alert. is not yep. great. So, Jess, once this podcast just blows up and we're super <laughs> famous, we might want to think about just retreating from the public life entirely, like Salander okay. did. Sign me mm-hmm. up. What mountains should we go to? The uh, I'm just thinking Transylvania because okay. vampires... That'd be fun. Sold. Count me in. Yeah. So the the book goes published. It's nuts. So he's super famous. People are like approaching him on the street, and he just does not know how to handle it. Isn't it kind of weird? Like, I guess it's it was a different time back then. But to me, nowadays, there aren't really many authors that achieve that level of fame that they can't even go on the street. You know? Yeah. Like the There's- one that comes to mind most recently is the Hunger Games author, and I can't even think of her name right now. I mean, I would think of... I'm totally blanking on all of the names, too. George R.R. Uh, Martin, maybe, but he's not really in public a lot. But I can't really think of any authors that are, like, so famous because of their books that when they go in public, they literally can't deal with anyone. Well, there's the the Harry Potter author who is... J.K. Uh, Rowling. Yeah. Yeah. She's probably but one. But the, again, the main one that comes to mind is is Stephen King because true. He's the the ultimate to me. I mean, just <laughs> but just to like go back to my original point, he started writing a really long time ago. So like things were different back then too. I can't think of a modern author that hasn't been making work. I mean, J.K. Rowling even Harry Potter's what 40 now. <laughs> Like, they, the books came out a long time ago. Yeah, you know, I, I'd love to dive into that because I, I wonder how much of it is just because we're, we're such a technological world now. I mean, anyone can, can write something and publish it, uh, whereas here we're writing letters <laughs> to Hemingway. Yeah. It's um, interesting. And it, I think part of it has a lot to do with the amount of content that's out there now like people do so many different forms of streaming services and reading and you get books on a kindle versus buying them at Barnes and noble and like it's just a different way to purchase them and consume them and there's so much but it's still fascinating to me that it shifted so much and i never really thought about it for authors until we're talking about it right now mm-hmm. huge tangent well and i think but- and i i do not have the answer for this if you do please let us know podcast at designpickle.com but during this time i mean post world war ii where uh, i mean i guess just in the united states the the entire country is kind of disillusioned by what's going on in the world so they turn to to literature and fiction yeah. more often whereas as you, as you previously mentioned we're so saturated with content everywhere uh, right. it's more like people knew you, you didn't have the internet you had you were anticipating books from your favorite authors to come right. out. Uh, whereas here, you could Google dog ears and find like <laughs> articles about there that. I actually did that yesterday, um, so that's really weird that you said that. Dog ears? <laughs> I Googled what does it mean if your dog ears are pushed back. <laughs> what did you find out? Because are they? My dog kept my dog Benny kept coming over to me and sniffing my forehead and wagging his tail, but his ears were like so far back that I googled it. 
Maybe you just need to wash your hair, Jess. Kitty, you're being so mean today. I know, I'm being so <laughs> savage. I don't know why. I'm sorry. I'm just stressed about reading the story. This is end of week, Kate, everyone. <laughs> She's not this mean. <laughs> but yeah, Very I googled nice. that because... I didn't know, but apparently it means they're, like, relaxed and happy, so. Oh, so yeah. he's like, you smell good, Mom. Yeah, sniffing my forehead for, like, 20 minutes, but it was fun. <laughs> okay, so a year after the book is published and he just receives wild success, he's still suffering from PTSD, mind you. That didn't yeah. go away. That didn't just no. go away. No, no, no. Uh, and then adding on just... Uh, global fame for that may not have helped, but he Can't turns. Imagine what's yeah, the best thing for that. Yeah. So as many people do, he turns to religion to heal his PTSD and just handling all the fame that came with his novel. So he he starts practicing Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, oh, for several okay. years. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, a lot of meditation, ripping yeah. pages apart. He kind of dabbles in a few different beliefs. He also checked out Christian science and Dianetics, which, as you may know, is the precursor to Scientology. I was just going to say, yep, good times. That would be a whole other episode. (laughs) Yeah, probably will be. Uh, A year later, he publishes another collection of short stories called Nine Stories. I believe his mother said that's a very boring title, but this... this, (laughs) Miriam! Miriam, uh, come on. Nice. <laughs> now, this book of short stories features the Glass family that we talked about before with Uncle Banana Fish. <laughs> but, okay, so nine stories aside, 1953 is an important year because this is when Salinger moves to from New York City to Cornish, New Hampshire, a tiny little town where he lived until his death. And this is where his real, uh, this is where it becomes a real recluse, basically. He just, yeah. like, the fame, he could not handle it. He was like, bye, I'm out, I'm going to go live in the woods, don't talk to me ever again. I feel Can't like that's him. something that a lot of writers would seek after fame. Oh, yeah. Uh, after he moved there, though, he did he didn't marry again to a woman named Claire Douglas. She was a student at the time and as a a wedding present to her, (laughs) you're going to love this, he presents her with a copy of a story about the character Franny Glass who uh, she inspired, his wife inspired. You may recognize the name Franny from another publication, Franny and Zoe by Salinger. Hmm... But that was his wedding gift to her. Like, happy wedding. I wrote a story about you. I, maybe she was into it. I don't know. I don't know how I would feel about that. I would that. be horrifically disappointed if that was my wedding gift. Just saying. I totally left out something super important. Uh, I'm just going to add it right here because why not? So I forgot to mention this previously, but I, I just think it's really important to note Salinger was married three times in his life. However, there was one woman he did not marry, but you could consider, like, the one that got away. Oh, Her name is Una. Una O'Neill. And uh, they met in college, and he was just completely enamored by her. They they kind of had, like, a push-and-pull relationship. But 
after he went off to war, he saw in the newspaper that she had actually married uh, none other than Charlie Chaplin. Oh my gosh. His life mm-hmm. intersects with so many other famous people from that time. That's so wild. Yeah. Can you imagine getting broken up with by someone by finding out they got married in the, on the fr- it was the front page of the newspaper. Oh. And <laughs> yeah. And to add insult to injury, uh it it was a big deal. Like it was it was a scandal because Charlie Chaplin was like forty years older than her. I, I, I may be getting say, that wrong. Wasn't he big mm-hmm. in, in the twenties? Like that's when he was a big star. Oh, yeah. And this is the forties. So uh, Charlie Chaplin was thirty six years older than Una. I really try to refrain from commenting on age gaps like that, but well, that's okay. We can move on. But I just thought, so he was just devastated because not only did she remarry and he had no idea that she was going to remarry, she remarries a super famous dude. It's front page of the newspaper. He has no idea. And it's a big deal because uh, Charlie Chaplin is 36 years older than him. Wait, but they didn't marry, right? So she wasn't remarrying. No. Because they never married. uh, He just... She was marrying for the first time, but he didn't know because he assumed that they were still like together, right? Correct. Yeah, okay. this is when he was young. He, they had met in college. He went off to war, and he's thinking like she's gonna wait for me when I come back. And she nope. wrote her a letter, bro. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> come on. I think he did. I think he wrote her some nasty letters. But okay, that was his his pre love. He got married to the German girl after that, and now he's married to Claire Douglas, uh, who Franny. inspired the character Franny. Now we're we're back uh, in real time. Now this is nineteen fifty five. Back in New Hampshire. Yes, uh, correct. So uh, Salinger actually has two children with uh, Claire. Their first daughter named Margaret, who we'll actually talk a bit later, and then his Matt son, which. Or his his son named Matt. <laughs> I love that. His Matt son. His Matt son. Namaste. And his son and his son Matt Sil- Salinger, who I had no idea, turns out to be an actual like famous actor. Matt Salinger. What? So many yeah. famous people. I can't say that enough. What is happening? He. He was in, um, I think he was like Captain America, one of the original original Captain Americas or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So okay. a few years later, Franny and Zoe is published and immediately becomes a number one New York Times bestseller. Uh, the book consists of two long stories. One is about Franny Glass, who's based off his wife, Claire, and the other about her sister, Zoe. So... While he is married to Claire, he's still, like, he's isolating himself more and more, just becoming super reclusive. Uh, And his wife's like, dude, (laughs) I can't live this way. Yeah. I'm I'm sure she didn't say it there, but she was just kind of, like, isolated and just, you know, wasn't happy in her situation. So they eventually divorced after 12 years of marriage. And a few years later, he has another relationship with an 18-year-old Yale student named nope. Joyce Maynard. Nope. Yeah. 18 years old? Nope. Yeah. No, thank you, that, That's JD. definitely... Another thing I had no idea about when I started researching Salinger was his kind of fascination with just 
younger women and it wasn't it wasn't very sexualized it was more like like the character holden where he just idolized the innocence that came with that which is very creepy regardless but still yeah like regardless of how you spin it even if it's not over sexualizing them it's like well you're still 40 whatever years old at this point. Oh, he was 50, 53. Okay. 53. Yep. Yeah. Joyce yep. is 18. No, thanks. Um, they start, you'll, you'll love this. They start by, uh, you know, letters. As you <laughs> I do. knew it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, she eventually started living with him in, in his little getaway in Cornish in the woods. But nothing really comes of it. He doesn't marry her. Uh, it's just kind of a fling, but he was very fascinated by her because she was very intelligent and yeah. Yeah. She went to Yale. Like I can, I can see why he would choose someone that went to Yale because they're intelligent and sassy and you know, how there's stuff going on, but also just no, just no. Oh yeah. So I'm kind of skipping over a lot of stuff because at this time he's just in Cornish writing and staying out of the media uh, he's he's fighting with the New York Times with publishing stuff, but then we jump back or we jump forward to 1980, as previously stated in the introduction of this episode. Full uh, circle. John mm-hmm, John Lennon is murdered by assassin Mark David Chapman in New York City. After killing Lennon, Chapman sits down and starts to read The Catcher in the Rye. Yeah, I uh, just like how do you. First of all, how do you feel as a writer knowing that someone could end up taking your work and then being like, psych, I did this terrible thing to this iconic person Mm -hmm. because of your writing? Like, especially someone that was already suffering from PTSD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I didn't see anything about his response to it, but it actually turns, it it gets worse. Uh, Oh, no. Mark David Chapman is not the only one who who cites the Catcher in the Rye's inspiration for murder or assassination Great. or shootings. Yeah. Uh, the, the person who attempted to assassinate Ronald Reagan also uh, cited Catcher in the Rye. So there's something there. And I think it comes yeah. down to that it's like the adult version of Holden Caulfield who is just so disillusioned by everything and thinks that that's why a lot of people don't like Catch in the Rise because that character is so pompous and thinks that they're better and smarter than everyone else. And I think that's how these murderers think of themselves. Like, oh, the world is that. I mean, that's why David Mark Chapman assassinated Lennon. It was like, he hated Lennon's lifestyle. He was like this proud creative who was just so pompous and famous and rich and he thought it was all fake and phony so he related to the character holden caulfield and used that as inspiration to murder it's a bit of a leap but i wonder if there's something to be said not to bring gender roles into it but i wonder if you know we're females and reading that book like i think Males and females in general have different perspectives on things, but I wonder if there's something to be said about having a male character that's... I wouldn't even call him a protagonist. Like, I don't even think he deserves that title in the book. But reading that from a male perspective and seeing that, like, how he looked at the world could very well relate better to how a male is looking at the world than how he would, if that makes sense. That's very That's very insightful because there's there's a lot in the book that does reference you know, 
sex and interactions with women and being scared of women and stuff yeah. like that. So I'm sure that's a part of it. Uh, uh, there, there's other implications in the book. So it, Holden Caulfield's brother dies when he's young, and he's definitely experiencing PTSD from that. So there's some reflection of, of Salinger's, Salinger's own PTSD from war kind of coming out in that character. Uh, definitely some implications with uh, being uncomfortable with, with sex. It's implied, not really, it's never confirmed, but it, it's it's implied that Holden was maybe molested at some point. I do so, oddly remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it's uh it's definitely up to interpretation, but I think it's just clear that it's someone who it's written for someone who thinks that maybe they're they're smarter than everyone else and frustrated with the world. So it can be taken in a lot of, of different directions. And certainly for someone who is already not mentally stable uh, right. with the intentions to kill could take that. So yep. I, I wouldn't say that his book caused people to do it. They're just taking it out of context. Cause, Which uh, it can be done with anything nowadays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So where were we? Uh, okay, John Lennon is murdered. His relationship with Joyce Maynard, Maynard is over. And now... As a 63-year-old, he travels to Jacksonville, Florida, and he meets a new woman, 37-year-old actress Elaine Joyce. So they get married. A little bit awesome. older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> uh, a, a little bit. Yeah. She's she's ripe. <laughs> she's, not a, she's not in the teens, so it's a step up. <laughs> not in the teens. Not in the teens. Yeah, we're good. We are good. Now, at this time, I, I mean, he's already super... We're in the 80s now. He yeah. has been super famous this entire time. Very elusive, obviously. He's still still in Cornish, hiding away, writing. Uh, but <laughs> a critic, Ian Hamilton, is preparing to write a, a biography about him using all of his letters that he <gasps> allegedly <Little> letters. sent. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say allegedly sent with carrier pigeons, but that's absolutely not true. Uh, <laughs> it's not even allegedly. <laughs> this this never gets published because Salinger sues Ian Hamilton and blocks the book's publication. He just what? did not want to be famous. He was like, do not yeah. put my face out there. Can I make it clear enough? Just let me stay with my young wife. <laughs> let me live my life, okay? <laughs> I, I actually misspoke because... the. It ended up being super, super heavily edited, rewritten, and it was published years later in 1988. All right, so now we're in the year 2000. Do you remember what you were doing in the year 2000? Y2K. Um, oh. I don't. It's just a wild. It's wild to think that we're talking about someone who was born in 1919 and yeah. had like massive success in like 19 early 1950s, and now we're in year 2000 and things are still popping. Popping. So pop off, yeah. JD. His his daughter Margaret, who we discussed earlier, um, she ends up publishing a memoir about growing up with her father, J.D. Salinger. Oh, but, yeah. no. That oh. has parallels to the current climate. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good catch. The book, called Dreamcatcher, is extremely critical of her father. <gasps> yeah. Uh, he cut off contact with her. 
once once he found out that she was writing this memoir, he was like, "Bye bye, I'm out." Wow. Also, mm-hmm. a very clever name for a memoir. Just gonna throw that out there. Good job, Margaret. <laughs> Dreamcatcher. Heck yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, at this point, his his reclusive habits made him pretty easy prey for just a ton of rumors. Yeah, were, well, a lot of rumors, but. Uh, his more intriguing habits were disclosed in this memoir. She said that he, at home, he spoke in tongues. He okay. drank his own urine and performed other bizarre spiritual rituals. So let's sit with you for a second there. I have so many questions. So she says this all allegedly happened in her memoir. Do we do we feel as though there's truth to this? Well, it's hard to say because her brother, actor Matt Salinger, actually called her out and offers a conflicting account saying that my sister is just full of gothic tales of our supposed childhood. Gothic so tales. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, we don't, I don't really know. I don't know. If you know, please let us know. Uh, But, I mean, from my understanding, it seemed like he was a very troubled person. He had a lot of trauma in his past. He definitely had PTSD. And he was just seeking something to to calm that in his life and to have some sort of peace. Uh, That's why he turned to to all those different... uh, religions and the whole thing with him drinking his own urine which again uh, it's it's definitely cited in a lot of different sources but not like actually confirmed but it was like a a practice that was supposed to like make you i don't know more in tune with your body or something like that i just have a lot of trouble with that one because (laughs) it's like it just (laughs) came out of Because it's gross? Oh, it's <laughs> gross, but, like, also you're just, like, creating a cycle that doesn't need to occur in your body. No, then that, so that never needs to happen unless you are no. stuck in the desert. In, uh, Maybe. I'm actually... I I know this is shocking, but I'm not a survi- survivalist expert, and I do not know that's if really that's weird. what you do. That's really weird. If you know survival tips... <laughs> Let us know. I would love to hear some of that. We want to learn. We're open to learning. Mm -hmm. Now, as I mentioned before, Salinger did sue another author who was trying to write a biography about him. He loves to sue. He also sued Mm. the people who were, yeah, trying to create another movie about him. That's, as we mentioned before, that's why there is no movie about uh, Catcher in the Rye. But um, one author did try to create a sequel to... Uh, Catcher in the Rye, and Salinger sued the heck out of him. <laughs> the so author, he's a litigious fellow. Okay. Oh, he is definitely a litigious fellow. That was shot down, though. He he actually won that lawsuit. Um, that person did not get to write his book. That person, that author, went by the name John David California, which I just think is hilarious. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So... Now, this this is just stuff that happened in the 2000s. This is when he's, you know, he's older. He always stayed in Cornish. He always stayed away from the media. Uh, no one knew much about him. I certainly didn't. But uh, 40 years later, after all of this, uh, a new light is shed in Salinger's life and work. There is a new 
biography that was published. Um, okay. Yeah, called called Salinger, and it became a New York Times bestseller. One of its many revelations is that there are at least five unpublished works by Salinger that are scheduled to be released sometime between 2015 and 2020. 20. I have heard 2020. this. Mm-hmm. I have heard this. Okay. So in, in 2010, at the age of 91, J.D. Salinger passes away in New Hampshire in his uh, Cornish homestead. Now, I just I just want to read a, clo- a quote from this uh, New York Times publication that says, J.D. Salinger, who was thought at one time to be the most important American writer to emerge since World War II, but who then turned his back on success and adulation, became the garbo of letters, famous for not wanting to be famous, died on Wednesday in his ho- home in Cornish, New Hampshire, where he had lived in seclusion for more than 50 years. He was 91. When you put it like that, that's a long well, time. Fifty years, Jess. How long have we been in quarantine for this corn or this COVID pandemic now? Like six months. <laughs> yeah. Now t- turn that into fifty years, and uh, let me know how you feel. Uh, I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm gonna decline that offer, but thank you so much for putting it out uh, there. I mean, I, I'm sorry to even put that in your head because, whoo boy, I'm struggling. If you couldn't tell by how much I struggled to follow the story, it's because, well, it's because I didn't have enough time. But <laughs> things are tough with in the Never COVID days. Time. Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. So, all of that being said, uh, you know reclusiveness aside marrying young women aside possibly drinking his own pee aside would you say that jd salinger is the worst i think he was a complicated being and i don't know that it's fair to call him the worst because it seems to me like he had a lot of other issues fueling his little idiosyncrasies that he battled so I don't know that we can fairly call him the worst. Not saying I'm a fan of the young women or anything like that, but I definitely think that he showed signs of deep, deep trauma that kind of changed the course of his actions and life. Mm-hmm. He was he was very he was a very complex yes. figure in the pines, a very complex legacy. Uh, the the Catcher in the Rye is basically an edgelord's handbook and has been tied to numerous violent acts. Uh, and and people do wonder, I mean, did, did his decision to leave the public eye have any bearing on that? Had he been more of a public figure, would, would there have been less room for interpretation? Uh, we don't know. That's all just kind of speculation. Mm-hmm. And now, while he had relationships with much younger women, they were legal and between consenting adults. Uh, but the, the age difference and power dynamic, eh, it, there's definitely room for some criticism there. So that's the story of J.D. Salinger. And I had no idea that, that Holden Caulfield is, is basically the mind yeah. of J.D. Salinger, uh, just refined a bit. Mm-hmm. I had no idea, and I feel like a lot of teachers out there uh, don't necessarily know. They don't have time to look into the lives of the authors that they're teaching the books on, but I feel like I never actively learned about that connection when we were reading the book, which I feel like would have changed the perception of it a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. I, I think it's very it's it's clear that had all of this happened today, had he published this book today, he probably it probably wouldn't have been received as well, maybe. No. Um but <clears throat> there there's no doubt that it certainly changed the world. It cha- I mean, changed yeah. my life. We've all read it and uh, there are it, it changed the world. Thinking even about John Lennon, it's not a in a positive way, but it still drastically changed yeah. the world. And that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people when they think about that, they or when they think about Catching the Rye, they think about how uh, Mark David Chapman was reading that book on the footsteps when the police arrived, and just ooh, it has some dark connotations there. Uh, yeah. I just know how dark his story, his personal story, was too. The ripple effect is pretty big on this one. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. It's the butterfly effect. Don't even get Ooh. me started on the butterfly effect. Don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd, I'd love to actually, maybe not right now because we're running out of time, but I would love to hear your thoughts on the butterfly effect. Uh, but now it's it's Friday evening and I'm going to go eat some pizza. Yep. So... Yeah, um, I know I kind of bounced around a lot and probably missed some things. And if anything's wrong, please let us know. Uh, just give us an email or shoot us an email at podcastdesignpickle.com or hit us up at uh, creativesaretheworst.com. And if you're feeling extra spicy like Kate is today, please, please go to wherever you listen to your podcasts and give us a subscribe or a like or whatever the kids do these days. And uh, give us a rating if you feel so inclined. Yeah, I think what they say is just yeet us a review or something like that. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> yeet it over. <laughs> yep. That's all. Thanks for listening to Creatives Are the Worst. If you like what you're hearing or if you think that we're the worst, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. We'd love to hear from you. You can also contact us directly at podcasts at designpickle.com and a big thanks to Design Pickle for sponsoring the show. Join us next week as we once again try to answer the question, are creatives the worst? <laughs> <laughs>